Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, everybody. (laughs) I have a little bit of a funny story before I get started or as I get started here. Um, So, you know, I've said before many times that I tend to record these in the morning. I'm a bit of a morning person. But sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm a little foggy, you know, foggy-headed. I always have my uh, trusty cup of coffee as I'm doing these. Here, I'll, I'll take a sip. <sighs> Delicious. And um, so this morning I got up and I prepared and I, you know, I record this through a soundboard and uh, got everything set up and started talking, probably said something brilliant, I don't know, and there was no sound coming out into my headphones that I listened to as I'm recording this, and sure enough, I had plugged the microphone into the wrong thing, so no sound was coming through. So I started over again. Uh, I normally don't do false starts or any editing or anything, thing like that, but I figure you probably don't want to listen to, you know, an hour of blank air while I'm talking into a microphone that's not connected to anything recording. Anyway, um, podcast technical issues. Um, I am a technical person, and I was before I became a shamanic practitioner, Um, but that doesn't mean I always do things perfectly. Nobody's perfect, and I certainly am a prime example of nobody being perfect. Um, as I speak, my little uh, chipmunk friend is up on my porch in front of me and running around look, scurrying for some food. So I'm going to, after this, throw some food out for him because they're getting ready for the winter. Um, winter is coming, to quote Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm in the northeastern part of the United States. I'm in the state of Maine, which is an, a region of the Northeast called New England. Um, We are the northeasternmost state of the U.S. So if you're not in the U.S., you look, or if you are in the U.S., you don't know where Maine is. If you look at a map and you follow the continental part of the United States all the way up to the upper right-hand corner, you'll see Maine. And that's where I am. And uh, I live in the woods, so we have lots of creatures and birds and things, and it's something I I love dearly about where I live. Love wildlife. Today, I'm going to talk about breath. And breath as a gateway to spirit. Um, and, you know, I'll talk about it from a number of different perspectives. Uh, I have... A significant amount of experience with breath work, uh, different types of breath work. So um, I have done pranayama, for example, which is yogic breath work, and I'll talk about that. And I have done breath work through, uh, you know, a few decades of martial arts training, and I have done uh, breath work as a meditation practice of all kinds. Um, And so I, you know, I do want to talk about that and why breath is important and how we can have mindful moments using the breath and powerful moments using the breath and all kinds of things. So I hope this will be both interesting and 
useful to you. Um, you know, one of my things, one of the things that I like to look at when I examine spiritual topics is how they are handled historically and sort of globally, right? So I practice shamanism and, you know, I have looked at um, certainly not every form of shamanism because that would take me an entire lifetime, I'm sure. But I have looked at, examined, uh, studied, you know, some things more in depth than others, different forms of shamanism as they have existed, um, you know, as we have historical records for, for some, and we don't have historical records for a lot, but as they're still practiced today, um, I think, you know, I, I feel personally that um, having, being well-rounded is important to me. Um, it's, you know, for some practitioners, it's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a criticism. Um, I'm just saying it's it's personally important to me to understand. Like, I want to know about the practices of Hawaiian shamanism or shamanism from West Africa or South American shamanism or uh, shamanism from Scandinavia or, you know, shamanism of the Celts or shamanism in Russia or wherever. Um, because I, you know, you can, you can learn a lot. It can inform your practice. I'm not stealing anybody's practices. I, I, you know, I only, uh, practice and teach things that have been freely shared with me and have been cleared to teach. Excuse me while I take another sip of coffee, which is, I just love coffee. Um, you know, that being said, I have participated in lots of uh, ceremonies and rituals and things that um, I would not lead or teach because I don't have, um, I don't have enough knowledge and I don't have the connection and I don't have an authority to do that. So I have participated in Native American pipe ceremonies and I have participated in sweat lodges and I've done um, certain uh, types of shamanic dances from different cultures and done some practices from other shamanic cultures. And I don't teach them because I you know, I don't have a connection to them and I'm not about misappropriating culture in any way. Um, but I do find that participating in different things and learning about different things makes me more well-rounded. And so when students or clients or, or whoever comes to me with questions, I feel like I'm answering them from a more informed perspective. Although, very frequently when I'm working with clients, I am, um, as we shall say, inspirited or inspired. And we're going to talk about that word, spirit, and um, where that comes from and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, because we're going to talk about breath, and we have this word uh, spirit and, you know, all its different forms, spiritual and spirituality, and you know, we can tell that that is related to the, you know, the word inspiration, right? I'm feeling inspired. Um, and when something is uh, no longer useful, we 
or or deceased, we might say that that thing or person or living being is expired. And so the interesting thing here is that the word, uh, so the word spirit comes from the Latin word spiritus, and spiritus um, in Latin means both spirit and breath, and they are synonymous. Interesting thing, and I'm, I'm going to expand on that a little bit, right? So to be inspired means to have, you know, to have taken in spirit, but also to have taken in breath. So literally to inspire, uh, to inspire means, um, you know, means to breathe in, you know, in one, one way in English, you know, English is this language where we have one word that means, you know, hundreds of different things. And um, if you are not a native English speaker, I apologize (laughs) on behalf of the people who came up with this crazy thing where we have, um, you know, single words that mean many, many different things. I talk about the word love in English, which is so weird because um, it doesn't feel weird to people who are native English speakers uh, because we just use it. But uh, when you really think about it, um, I can say, you know, I love this sandwich that I'm eating and I love my children. And that is not the same thing, I hope. Hope you're not eating your children. Um, and I can be in love with a, a person, which, you know, romantic love. That's so why we have to put modifiers on it. You know, I can love my family. I can love my children. I can love my country. You know, I have a sense of patriotism. Um, I can love my community. And these may all be different things. And I know in other languages, um, you know, I've heard, for example, that Persian has... Um, 90 plus words for love and some other languages are the same. And, um, and gosh, I love that. See, I I can love that. I can love that fact. And that's not the same thing as loving a cheeseburger or loving my children. So, um, you know, the word inspired when, when somebody is inspired, it means they're, you know, they're motivated or they're, um, you know, we could say they're full of spirit, or it could mean that, you know, inspiration could also mean I am, I have, I'm, you know, the, the act of breathing in. And um, expiration is the act of breathing out. Or it's the act of dying, right? Because the idea is that when your breath leaves your body, so does your spirit or your soul. It becomes detached from your body. Um. So in um, in Latin, there's also the word animus, where we get the words um, animal and animate and animated and probably a bunch of others. And this is also another word for spirit, but it also can mean breath or wind or puff of air. Um, so there is, there's a link in Latin and thus English, um, you know, where we have borrowed from that and probably other romance, well, English is not a romance language, but probably in romance languages there there are links as well between spirit and breath. Um, so then when I look out 
at other cultures that I am, uh, you know, that I have at least a passing familiarity with, or have even just you know read something about. Um, I see the same thing occurring in a lot of places, right? So in Greek, um, we have the word pneuma, which is another word for spirit. And pneuma is where we get um, lots of things having to do with lungs and breath. Um, Pneumonia, for example, um, or pneumatic, or, you know, all kinds of things having to do with air and breath, also having to do with spirit. In um, Hebrew, and, you know, I will apologize if I am mispronouncing this stuff. Um, As I've explained, I'm a native English speaker. Um, I have limited studies in uh, other languages. Uh, We can credit the public school system in the United States with that. I know in other countries, um, languages, multiple languages are taught in public schools um, from a very early age. That is not the case in most of the United States. We don't start learning languages until way too late, unfortunately. So, um, you know, in Hebrew, uh, there's the word ruach, which is um, spirit and also breath. Um, in, you know, in Chinese, we have the word qi or, uh, you know, qi or chi, as some people pronounce it. Or, and in Japanese, we have qi, which has to do with spiritual energy and is very, very associated with breath. This is where we get the word qigong, which is like um, energy work in Chinese. And, um, you know, qi is, yes, it's this vital energy that runs to the meridians. It's the thing that acupuncturists affect. And um, martial arts, martial artists use it to uh, disrupt their opponent's bodies and that sort of thing. Um, and so it is the animating factor of the body. It is the thing that keeps processes running. And it is very, very, you know, it's it's complicated because there are different kinds of key. There's key that comes from your food. There's key that comes from the air that you breathe. There's key that you ab- can absorb from the universe. So there's different sources, but still the word is very much associated with breath. Um, and it's clear to see why that is, right? Because um, when a person or an animal dies, we stop breathing, right? Um, you know, modern science has, you know, some different definitions of when somebody is dead. Um, you know, we can check somebody's heart and their heart stops beating. And then some minutes after that, the brain, uh, the brain dies from lack of oxygen, And we can measure those things, but in ancient times, before we had um, modern medical equipment, you know, when a body ceased its breath, it was either dead or practicing some very advanced meditative practices. There are, there are some, um, you know, there are some meditative practices where the breath can be held for extremely long periods of time or stopped. Um, and there is, there's pranayama, which is practiced, um, I can't remember the term for it at this point, which is practiced on the, the breath is held on the exhalation for longer and longer periods of time. 
Um, and now there's some scientific research showing why that it ha- can have a positive effect on the body. Um, I should say, don't try this. Don't try this on your own. Um, there are there are implications of breath work um, for different types of medical conditions. And I am not a doctor, and so certain things like breath holding exercises can be unsafe for people with certain medical conditions or if they're pregnant, or if you have medical conditions that you don't know about. So I'm not recommending you just start practicing things um, without, you know, checking in, checking in with a doctor. Always do that anyway. Um, But I know that there are breath hold exercises where, you know, when we think about holding our breath when you're a kid and maybe you're swimming, you like take a deep breath and hold as much air in your lungs as you can and dive underwater. Um but there are exercises where you exhale and hold the ex- exhaled breath um, for as long as possible. And there's some physiological stuff that happens there that's pretty cool, having to do with um, carbon dioxide and um, vasodilation and uh, cool things happening. <laughs> Interesting things happen with this breath work. Um. So I know, uh, I know there is, um, you know, there are Hawaiian systems of uh, breathing, and I know that there is, you know, um, you know, we we hear the word aloha, which is like, uh, you know, greeting, hello, goodbye. Um, I think it means much more than that, but the ha part is an exhalation, and in at least some part of Hawaiian culture that is done, you know, you touch foreheads and you say aloha and you exchange breath. It's a spiritual exchange. Um, so there's an, there's an exchange of breath there. So, um, so it's very, you know, it's easy to see why from ancient times the breath has been associated with spirit and spirit being the animating part. Like, you know, when you see the body, what animates the body, right? Is Are we just a pile of chemicals and electrical impulses that randomly move us around towards food and whatnot? Um, you know, from a materialistic realism, you know, atheistic perspective, yeah, we're a random pile of chemicals that self-organizes and um, uses air and um, chemical electrical impulses to... Um, eat and reproduce and sleep and, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I won't argue with anybody who takes that perspective. Um, that is your prerogative to believe that is the case. Uh, but my experience, my experience is very different. Um, and, you know, where you're, I, I'm not going to discount your experience. I, uh, expect my experience not to be discounted. Although, you know, people certainly do. Um, but humans are, humans and all all beings are spiritual. Um, even, you know, the rocks and the rivers and the land. You know, in shamanism, we shamanism is very animistic, and we see spirit everywhere and in everything. So that means your car has a spirit, and your, you know, the picture frame that your picture of your family is has a spirit and so does the picture and um so there's spirit everywhere and some aspects of spirit have a material world representation 
So human beings are one, you know, an example of that. We are a spirit and we have, we also have physical bodies. Um, there are lots of spirits. Many more spirits uh, do not have physical bodies than do. So there's this, you know, there are many, many worlds full of spiritual beings. Some of them are close to our physical reality. Some of them are quite different than our physical reality. And this is something that is explored by shamans all over the world. And so, um, you know, not all living, not all living things from a spiritual perspective breathe. From a physical perspective, all living things breathe breathe they have some sort of uh you know some sort of exchange of of chemicals you know obviously you know fi- fish um gather oxygen from the water um fungi like mushrooms breathe oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide so they're actually closer to animals than plants even though we might think of them as plants and plants you know plants through their cycles have um you know, breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. That's a very, you know, obviously incredibly oversimplified uh, explanation of what plants do through photosynthesis and whatnot. So um, breath is important as human beings because we can have control over it and it is a gateway into spirit. So breath, as you know, is an autonomic nervous system function, meaning we do not normally have to think about breathing. We do it without thinking. It's autonomic. It's, um, you know, we'll breathe on our own without thinking about it. However, you can actually, you know, you can certainly affect your breath by thinking about it. And it is the easiest autonomic function probably to control just by, you know, control to have volition over. So for example, I can hold my breath or I can choose to inhale or exhale, or I can choose how rapidly I'm breathing. And that will have different effects on me. It'll have effects on my body. It will have effects on my mind. And yes, it will have effects on your spirit. And, um, you know, one of, one of the things that I like to teach and share with people is that, you know, this view that body and mind are two separate things and that body, mind, and spirit are three separate things, I think is a bit of a false belief. Um, I understand it's like easy to, it makes it easier for us as human beings to categorize things, to put things into neat little categories, right? Um, and so, you know, if, if I were just, you know, looking at a human being, I would say, okay, the mind, the mind is the, the brain. The brain and the mind are synonymous. And, you know, okay, but the, the brain is part of the body, so the mind is really like the electrical impulses in the brain, and, oh, but we have a nervous system, and, oh, we have um, chemicals that affect our consciousness, and, um, you know, we're, we're inputting data through our sensory organs, and, oh, by the way, our stomach produces, you know, our gut area produces the serotonin that we use as a neurotransmitter, and there are neuropeptides throughout our body, and, 
um, well, we, you know, what we think of as our conscious mind is, you know, sort of located in our prefrontal cortex of our brain. Um, there are a lot of mind processes. In fact, the vast majority of mind processes that we're not conscious of, right? You're probably not conscious of your digestive tract being regulated or your, um, you know, your, your acid base, uh, levels of your body or your heart rate. It's hard to affect your heart rate with thought. There are people who can do it. You can practice that, um, one way to affect your heartbeat, so it's an autonomic function, is through your breath. You can take control over that. And so this is a place where mind and body are really connected. Right? I can think and control my breathing, control my body. Right? And my mind controls my body in all kinds of different ways. Um, so that's, you know... That's sort of one direction, right? There's the control. And then, you know, sensory input goes in the other direction. I can feel where my body is in space, the position I'm in. I can see things. I can hear things. I can taste and smell things. Um, I have a vestibular system that tells me if I'm off balance. Um, and part of that's autonomic. Like, uh, part of that is relegated to the autonomic system, like my head, I don't have to think about holding my head up straight. It does it on its own. If you ever do, you know, don't, don't, ex don't do anything I ever talk about in any sort of unsafe way. Make sure you are physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally safe at all times. Um, but, you know, one thing that is really interesting because I have trained in martial arts before that I've done training blindfolded and how much of your balance is affected by your vision, right? If you, if you are a sighted person, now if you are a person who is visually impaired, your other systems, your vestibular system and your kinesthetic system will take over. And so you don't have people who are visually impaired falling over most of the time, right? Be but if you tried to, um, you know, stand still with your eyes closed, you might have a harder time staying balanced. But you don't even really think about it. Like, you have a natural reflex for your head to become level, right? So the horizon, if you are looking out at a scene and the horizon is going to go straight across. That's where we get the word horizontal from. Why? Because we don't stand on our heads and look at things upside down, or we don't tilt, we don't walk around with our head tilted to the side most of the time. Um, so there are, you know, there are inroads to the autonomic nervous system, and one of the easiest ones is breath. And so you can affect the body chemistry with the breath, you can affect the heart rate with the breath, the rate of digestion, all kinds of things. Um, and there's whole schools of breath work out there who are dedicated to um, gaining health through breath or doing spiritual work through breath. I also do not, so, you know, the, the difference between mind, consciousness, and our physical representation, they're like 
interpenetrating, interconnected. You cannot really separate them out in any deeply meaningful way. Um, sure, on the surface you can. And, you know, I don't know how it works in other countries, but I was talking to someone who is a therapist, who's a mental health therapist, recently, and I said, you know, it's really interesting to me that in the United States, um, you know, I, I can go off for hours on our healthcare system. I will not. Um, needless to say, I'm not, I'm not incredibly proud of it. And, there's, you know, um, the way that we have done things that uh, we have the most costly health care system in the world and everybody gets health care by buying insurance. And if you can't afford insurance, um, you know, you're, you're kind of screwed. And even if you can afford insurance, um, you know, it's, it's only going to cover some of, you know, what can be potentially life altering hospital bills. If you get sick, um, we do a really poor job of, uh, healthcare in this country. However, one of the things is that we treat mental health different than physical health. Like we separate, we separate them out as a, you know, like they're different things. Um, you know, there's some, there's some, you know, there's some overlap there where, you know, you can go to a psychiatrist and you can get prescribed some medication, which will affect your body and hopefully affect your emotional state or whatever it is or help you, you know, alleviate some psychoses or something. You know, there's different different psychiatric medications. Um, so the body, and again, there's the body and the mind interacting, and we treat, treat them very often as separate things. Um, but your mind can certainly affect your body. Your body can certainly affect your mind. And from my perspective, as somebody who does uh, shamanic healing with a lot of clients... Um, the spiritual component of human beings is also inseparable from the body and the mind. Um, they all interact, they all interpenetrate. Um, yes, I mean, you can, you know, through shamanic journeying or like astral projection or whatever, you can separate part of your, part of your soul, not the entire thing. Because if your entire soul separates from your body, you die. Um, but part of you, part of your consciousness splits off and you can experience other things, other realities, that sort of thing. Um, so these things are connected. And so, uh, spiritual disease, spiritual disorder, spiritual, um, fractioning, all kinds of things can certainly cause physical symptoms can certainly cause uh, mental health symptoms, and this is where um, this is where I work. I work on the spiritual components of healing with my clients. I do not. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a mental health therapist. I'm not qualified to work from that angle. And all my clients who come to me with um, physical or mental health um, and you know emotional issues, I always tell them that they need to, you know, the best thing to do is to to sort of attack the problem from as many different angles as you can. Because we're, you know, we're these overlapping systems. We're systems of systems, right? So, you know, if you are 
suffering from depression, for example, you know, um, go to a therapist. But that might not be the only thing you need to do. Like, go talk to your doctor. You might decide to take psychiatric medication or you might decide to try to um, do some things physically that have been um, shown to help alleviate depression. Things like exercise and meditation and um, time outdoors and social connection. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things you can do. And, you know, so if somebody came to me with depression, I would you know, say, okay, you know, are you talking to a therapist? Are you talking to your doctor? Okay, now let's address the spiritual aspect of depression. And there might be, for example, there might be some soul loss there, or there might be some ancestral healing that needs to take place, or, you know, many, many other things that can happen. So I would take care of that part. And people can, you know, after a single session, sometimes feel a great deal of relief. Um, and that can fade if they're not taking care of the other parts of themselves um, or continuing to take care of their spirit. I usually give clients some homework to do, um, you know, some, some practices that they need to take with them to sort of keep, you know, integrate the healing that's been done. And I really think that that's a key to health. I really think that addressing human beings as holistic systems of systems um, and looking at the entire person, not just as a machine, as complicated as it might be, but, um, you know, as body, mind, and spirit. So breath is, breath is an entryway into that. You know, they're breathing, breathing exercises that you can do that can change your consciousness, right? Um, I'm not going to teach any of them here because uh, most most really intense breathing exercises really need to be done under supervision. And I would caution that. I would, you know, if you go out and learn to do some intense, um, you know, some really intense breathing exercises that can, for example, cause you to have visions. And some people might say hallucinations, but I'll say visions. Cause you to have visions or to um, dissociate, feel separated from your body, or, you know, to facilitate shamanic journeying or that sort of thing. Um, I would urge you not to learn those through self-study. Go find a qualified teacher to supervise you in learning that stuff. Because, um, you know, if you don't know what to look out for physiologically, uh, that's problematic. And um, there can be there can be some negative repercussions. You can, as you can affect your body positively with the way that you think and negatively with the way that you think, you can affect your body and mind and spirit negatively by the way you breathe or positively by the way you breathe. Um, you can find breath coaches out there and you can go to um, breathwork classes or you can take a yogic meditation class and learn pranayama, you know, safely with an instructor <clears throat> and follow their instructions. The breath is very powerful, very, very powerful. So in a lot of shamanic work, um, and this is, you know, currently because of the pandemic, um, I am only working with clients 
remotely over Zoom. They tend to have these, you know, healing sessions over Zoom. Um, and they work just fine because there, there is uh, no real difference in time or space with spirit. Spirit is formless. It doesn't have matter. Um, and, you know, physically time and space are, are intimately linked to matter, right? Gravity, gravity, time and space, matter, relativity, all of that stuff, which is, you know, I maybe understand a fraction of a percent of, but I know enough to know that, um, you know, there's things like time dilation relative to gravity. So time, time passes differently in space than it does on earth. So if you take a clock on earth and a clock and you put it in space at the same time, the clocks are going to be off after a very short period of time because time travels different, you know, try time. The pace of time is different. Um, you know, and that might seem really weird and it is, but, um, gravity matter mass affects time, the flow of time. Um, and space as well, you know, without, you know, time, space, and matter are all intimately linked physically. So, because spirit doesn't have matter, um, it is timeless and spaceless. So, I can do a healing for somebody on the other side of the world, um, and has, you know, it, it can be just as effective. Um, that being said, there are there are some advantages to being in the same space and putting hands on a person and having them witness the work that I'm doing. And that is, I would argue, primarily psychological. That's not to say that it doesn't make a difference because psychology is important. Um, And when I do, uh, you know, when I do Zoom sessions, I turn my video on so I can talk to people and they can see what I'm doing and, you know, that sort of thing. And that, that does make a difference because it's going in through their psyche as well as their, you know, as well as the spiritual work that I'm doing, which can be very subtle sometimes, sometimes not so subtle. Sometimes people can have these huge shifts. So one of the things that many shamans do in a healing is that you will see them um, blow into the body of uh, the client that they're working with. Um, and this happens in different ways. So in some cultures, they uh, might have a tube or a hollowed out bone that they blow through. Um, in some cultures, they'll take, um, you know, you'll be lying on a table and they will, um, you know, take a little bit of, uh, alcohol or something onto their lip and then blow it out over you. Um, you know, essentially like spreading the blessing out over you. It's not really spitting. It's not really the same thing as spitting on somebody. It definitely has a, a very different meaning and a very different spiritual implication. So they will, um, they will breathe on you. Um, and a lot of them, they will sort of like cup their hand into a hollow tube. So like make a very loose fist that they could blow through and blow into different parts of your, your body, the top of your head, your heart, you know, other parts of your body. Um, 
And during that time, there's a transfer. There's some sort of transfer. So when I do power animal retrieval face-to-face, I would blow that power animal into the person's body. Or if I'm doing soul retrieval, the soul parts that I bring back, I'm blowing them into the, the body of the person. Now, is that to say that the power animal now lives inside the person's body? No. Um, but we are blowing the energy of that power animal in so that connection, that you know, connection or reconnection is made. And, um, you know, with soul retrieval, the soul parts that come back that get blown into the body get reintegrated. So, you know, we blow them into the body, even though spirit is, again, doesn't really have physical form. You can see, you know, sometimes there's spiritual form. People can see auras or spiritual doubles or, you know, etheric bodies, and there's all these different words for them. Um, ultimately, the, you know, the, the spirit body is formless. You have a soul body that has more of a form and can take on the shape of the person sometimes, or, you know, when people talk about shape-shifting, really going down a tangent here. Um, you've heard of shape-shifting before, you know, with shamans turn into the form of animals or, or what have you. Um, primarily what's happening is they are changing their, the part of their soul body that journeys into the shape of an animal, usually an animal, um, and, you know, taking flight or doing, doing whatever. Um, I have not in fact, personally experienced physical shape-shifting. In an infinite and expanding universe, anything is possible. But I have never seen, witnessed, or been able to um, change shape, right? I've never seen a person's physical body turn into a raccoon. Um. Do I think it's possible? I mean, I, again, I think anything is possible in an infinite expanding universe. But what I can tell you is that from my perspective, from my experience, and granted, I've only been on this earth while well, I'm coming on 50 years, folks. And that seems like a long time for me. But in the scope of things, in the scope of human existence, that is not very long. In the scope of the the world's existence, that is not a very long time. So, um, but in my experience, shape shifting happens on the level of the soul or astral body, and it is a very frequent practice in many spiritual systems. So, in um, ancient Egyptian practices and practices that um, sort of neo I guess, neo-Egyptian practices like, you know, the practices of the Golden Dawn um, and the OTO and, you know, some of those organizations that came up, um, you know, in the past couple of centuries to teach mysticism and adopted some uh, some Egyptian stuff. Um, people do what's called assuming God forms, and that means you um, menti- mentally, uh, astrally, 
take on the form of the God that you are worshiping. And, you know, the, the hope, the intention there is to um, be able to commune with that God force and to be able to, um, uh, to be able to, um, I guess, wield the power for lack of a better term of that God. If we're doing magical workings, for example, I might take on the form of Thoth, the, um, you know, the Ibis headed God of Egypt, who is the God of writing and magic and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, mentally, psychically, astrally take on this form of the God. They might dress, you know, in they must dress up in Egyptian garb and take on certain poses and do certain chants and have all kinds of things to sort of, uh, you know, move that along. But I don't think, um, I have never seen anybody actually physically change into the shape of, you know, one of these God forms. Um, you know, and, you know, it's an interesting idea another another idea that um you know that comes out of sort of the western mystery tradition is the um you know the whole idea of a god form and that you know some of these uh scholars and you know spiritual you know spiritually kind of uh, I'm not going to use the word enlightened knowledgeable people you know, they had the idea that the uh, when they talk about the God form, the shape of the God, they really, you know, recognized that these spirits that they recognized as gods were formless because they showed up, first of all, they showed up in different forms, right? So you have um, Horus in Egypt, who is the hawk-headed god, which is some, sometimes he's a, he is a hawk, right? So he shape-shifted, um, into different forms, and there is the uh, the concept in the in the Western mystery tradition of enthroning a god. So when you, we give human beings give form to a god through a statue or you know ima- just imagining the way the god looks or whatever, um, you are providing a throne, a house, a seat for that God to interact with you. Um, but that is not the true form of the God, as that would be incomprehensible. So all the statuary and stuff you see, you know, I don't know how how sort of your everyday person believed, like maybe they believed that's what the gods look like, um, but there certainly were, um, you know, spiritual uh, elite, spiritual, spiritually knowledge people who um, took those forms of the gods as not literal, right? So formlessness. And I realize I've gone way off the path of uh, breath, but um, I think it's all important as we talk about the formlessness of spirit and also how it replicates breath, right? Because air doesn't air doesn't really have a shape like li- like liquid. It takes the shape of the container that it's in. Right, so when I breathe into my lungs, the air that fills my lungs are basically the shape of my lungs. Um, but it's very hard to understand the shape of air outdoors, for example, right? Like weather systems, 
you know, an air movement, um, you know, there's a lot of chaos there. Um, because, you know, we're talking about subatomic particles up to huge hurricanes and weather, you know, giant weather fronts and that sort of thing. So the level of, of, you know, air movement and air temperature and all of those things is sometimes a little hard to get a grasp on. And that's why, um, that's why people who predict the weather can be wrong a lot. And, you know, computer systems that are very complex and trying to predict the weather can be wrong. Um, you know, some good portion of the time. Uh, because they're guessing, they're using best guess. So air and spirit are formless is another connection and why it's easy to equate air breathing with spirit. Um, and, I, and I do like to look at air, as I've said, as not just air, but breathing air. Um, there is the spiritual component of air, which is, you know, you have the elements, the traditional elements of earth, air, water, and fire. And air is one, you know, air is the um, dry, cool, moving component of, uh, of, you know, of those elements. And, you know, those are, you know, uh, alchemical elements uh, are, are, conceived of as spiritual components that make up not just physical matter, but also um, parts of the spirit as well. And so um, air and breath. So we talk about breathing as an inroads into spiritual work as a, as a way to, um, you know, they're not, they are used as synonyms in many languages. Um, I think, you know, spirit is different than breath, but it is an inroad. It's a pathway in. It is a spiritual, breath can be a spiritual tool, a very powerful spiritual tool for affecting your consciousness, for um, getting in touch with, uh, you know, your higher self, for doing all kinds of work. Um because your breathing can affect your body, mind, and spirit. And your breathing does, you know, if you're unconscious of it, you are unconsciously affecting your body, mind, and spirit with your breath. If you're unconsciously breathing, um, people, most people tend to over-breathe. Uh, most people breathe um, very shallow, very quickly, and from the upper lobes of their lungs most of the time. And it can feel really weird to take a, a big, full breath. And this isn't to say that full, deep, slow breathing is uh, always the way to breathe either, right? But most people, you know, our lung capacity, I forget, is about seven liters, we'll say. And I could be wrong in that. You Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. And we tend to take in about, you know, a liter or two of breath each time we breathe. So we leave, you know, most of our lung capacity. Um, Over-breathing is also a problem. Um, you know, if you expel too much carbon dioxide, and, you know, most people think of carbon dioxide as waste, uh, but it's not. It's physiologically important. The chemical process that strips the, um, the oxygen 
molecules off of your hemoglobin in your blood requires carbon dioxide to release that oxygen, which is why if you hyperventilate, you breathe too fast, you expel carbon dioxide too quickly, um, you can get faint and you can pass out and all of those things. Um, and that is in part because your the the chemical process required to remove the oxygen um, molecules from hemoglobin and give them to your cells isn't happening. And so you need to um, downregulate your breath. So there's all kinds of different breath, te- breath techniques, and they all have different, very different effects on the mind and body. So there's the, um, you know, the Tibetan practice of tumo, which is the inner fire, which you know is amongst other things um, a breathing exercise. Now it is more, much more than that. Um, and you may have heard of this, but um, people who have trained in this, um, and and this is a super dangerous practice to just start training on your own. So I don't recommend that at all. Um, you know, if you if it's something you want to learn, go find a you know, a um, Tibetan Tumo master who will take you on and teach you. Uh, but it can actually raise the body temperature. Um, so, you know, monks can go out into the mountains and, you know, where it's cold and melt the snow around their bodies or wrap themselves in wet blankets and, and uh, dry out the blankets from the heat coming off their bodies um, you know, and that's an interesting uh, physiological effect. I believe that, so, um, and I apologize for not translating this into centigrade, but I live somewhere where we're still using Fahrenheit. But so body temperature, normal body temperature is about 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And they have uh, measured the body temperature of people practicing TUMO as up to 117 degrees. Now that is um, crazy hot. If you were that hot when you arrived at a hospital, they would uh, assume that you're dying (laughs) Um, of some kind of horrible infection. Um, Like 105 is a, you know, a really bad fever. Um, Above that is life-threatening, but these people practice TUMO. They can heat their bodies up to 117 degrees. Um, and not only do they have no ill health effects, but they have uh, tremendous health, good health effects from that, and they can keep warm. But it is, it is ultimately a spiritual exercise, even though it strongly affects the body and can be used as a survival Technique if one is caught in the cold and exposed to cold. Imagine being able to prevent hypothermia um, like that. It's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, it also shows us what you know that the human body is capable of amazing things that maybe we haven't even discovered yet. But again, it's that mind, body, spirit connection. Um, there are certainly um, Hawaiian breathing practices. I have seen, um, uh, I've seen certainly Native American um, 
breathing practices and chanting practices. I've seen Inuit chanting that I can tell is stimulating certain types of breathing. I don't know enough about the culture to talk about it too much, um, but I've seen this sort of chant happening that forces a rapid, a, a really certain type of rapid breathing. Um, and my thought is that there must be a spiritual component to that. Um, be very interested in finding out. Perhaps I should learn. Perhaps I should do some research. Um, so I hope this has been helpful. I, I do I do like to leave, always leave off with some sort of helpful advice or tip or something along those lines. And I will do that today. Um, you know, but as I said, you know, breath work can be, if practiced incorrectly, can be dangerous. So don't um, don't do anything, don't do any extreme breath work without proper instruction and supervision. But I will give you this um, one tip that you can take with you during your day. And this will help you, um, if you practice this, it can help you de-stress. And this is just the idea of mindful breathing. Now, mindful breathing isn't necessarily about taking control of your breath. This is about taking a few moments in your day to simply observe your breath. Simply watch your breath without trying to change it. It may change because the act of observing anything changes that thing. It may change in a perceptible way by you observing it and you know, that's totally fine. Be fine with it. Be fine with whatever your breath is doing. But take a minute or two with eyes closed or eyes open, whichever is safe and comfortable for you, and just watch your breath coming in and out. And if you have difficulty with this, you can focus on the physical sensation of it. A couple of places where you can focus are whatever is the first place in your body or wherever is the first place in your body that you can feel your breath. Sometimes that's the nostrils, sometimes it's the throat, sometimes it's the lungs. And you can pay attention to, hey, where is the first place in my body that I feel my breath? And just you know, just observe the sensation of breathing. You know, and you can do this little short spurts, and this will help bring your mind into the present moment. It'll help bring, you know, if you're if you're uncentered, you have sort of a scattered soul body, it's like all over the place, it will help recenter. You can practice this with some grounding exercises. So this is just a little exercise of mindful breathing, which will help to ground and center your spirit. And it will help you to calm your body, um, relieve a little bit of stress, and um, you know, calm your mind as well, center your mind as well. So I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been interesting. Um, this has been the shaman's breath, although I've talked about all different you know, angles of talking about the breath. Um, if this is interesting to you and you want to learn some breath work, I would um, highly recommend you know, taking a class in breath work or finding 
um, a teacher who teaches breath work and, you know, is willing to take that on or go to, you know, go to a yoga school where they do pranayama. And you can, you can ask about that, you know, how much pranayama do you do? Um, you know, there are different types, all different types of yoga, and some of them focus very heavily on, on pranayama. And some of them, some of them do just a little bit um, of it. So you can ask. Um, so that is it for the day. I love you all. Um, wherever you are in the world, I appreciate you tuning in um, and spending some time with me. I hope that you will, um, if you have not already, I hope that you will subscribe to this podcast. I hope that you will come to my website and follow me on social media and all of that sort of thing. Um, I have some cool stuff coming up. Uh, next month, I'm taking part in this big um, Miracles Mastermind with about 20 or 30, I don't know how many other teachers, a ton of other teachers, um, and it's free. There'll be details on my website very soon. In the next um, in the next few days, actually, there will be um, there'll be uh, some details on my website. So follow up there. And um, I am, uh, you know, teaching and doing all kinds of things. So check me out. I love to hear from people, and we will talk very soon. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com. 